You're listening to Black and White, Can We Just Talk? from Piedmont International University. Your hosts are University President Charles Pettit, as well as Sheriff and former DEA agent Bobby Kimbrough. Black and White is a program where we take current issues and provide you, the listener, with unique perspectives from two different worlds. Our hosts may not agree on everything, except that friendship and dialogue should never be constricted by societal expectations. Here are your hosts, Bobby Kimbrough and Charles Pettit. All right, so we have a lot of things that have happened this week. Uh, We had Super Tuesday take place, and uh, we went from a lot of uh, Democrat candidates down to basically two left in the race. Uh, We've heard a lot more about coronavirus. There was a death penalty case uh, over in Alabama. True. And uh, we had Chuck Schumer get himself into a little hot water. Uh, So a lot of stuff's been going on, and what we've decided to do is to have a show where a black sheriff and a white university president – uh, who came together in an interesting way, would just sit down every week and have a conversation and talk through things. I like that. I like that. You know, you said about the uh, Super Tuesday. We went from many to two, the um, the coronavirus, and so many things are happening in our country. And it's good that we sit down and talk about the Week in Review and get a different perspective, a different spin. In our world, it seems like we've gotten really good at either not talking at all or just screaming our talking points over and over and over again past the other person's ears so neither side's actually listening. We're just talking. So true, so true. So imagine what could happen when, when we sit down and we talk about our differences. We talk about the issues. We talk about all the things that affect us indirectly and directly. So when we sit and we talk, we may not agree, we may disagree, but at least we sit down and we talk about our issues. So since this is our uh, inaugural show, uh-huh. uh, I think it'd be good if the people listening to us get a little bit of information about who we are and how we met each other and why we felt these things were important. I guess everybody out there would say this is probably important that we'd actually have some conversations and hear things from different perspectives. Uh, but uh, I met you, what, a year ago? A little over a year, about a year and a half. Yeah, coming up on two years. So uh, actually what I heard is I heard that uh, this four-time white incumbent of sheriff of the fourth largest municipality in North Carolina had been uh, upset by uh, come from nowhere Black guy who uh, did what everybody said couldn't be done. They said there's no way that you'd win that election, and yet here you are, a sheriff of one of the largest counties in the state of North Carolina. Well, you know, I I, I like your choice of words. I actually did come from somewhere. I came from <laughs> <laughs> I came from a lot of different places. I spent 30 plus years serving uh, this country, this community. I was a special agent with the federal government. I worked in a lot of different cities, a lot of different countries. I started my career here with the local municipality as a police officer. So I came from many places. I think that the message was simple. At the end of the day, you know, people say they want a lot of things, you know. So a lot of times partisan plays a lot of roles. But when it comes to law enforcement, certain, um, in my opinion, all of the officials and all of the elected officials, you know, you do, do you want a Republican? Do you want a Democrat? Do you want an independent? Or do you want a good one? Mm-hmm. So that was the message, you know. Do you what do you want? Do you yep. want a good sheriff? Do you want a Republican, uh, Democrat, Independent? And that was the message, you know. At the end of the day, we had to do what's moral, what's right, and what's legal. And that was the message that um, we were going to do what was right. You know, many of the people listening to this will not be from uh, the Triad or from Winston Salem, North Carolina, or Forsyth County, uh, and so they won't know the amazing changes in morale, things that have happened, the goodwill between law enforcement and the community. 
we haven't always seen that here in our city, and tensions have gotten really, really high. And uh, after just one year, uh, just over a year of being sheriff here, everybody's talking. I actually had a conversation this morning on the way in, and I stood out in the parking lot talking to a police officer who was just patrolling down the street and saw me pulling in really early and decided to come over and say hello. And, uh, and I told him I was getting ready to come in and do a recording with Bobby Kimbrough. And he said, oh, I like Bobby. He said, everything about this town has changed since Bobby's been here. But it all, the, the conversation between the two of us happened is because I saw you got elected. I've been the president of Piedmont International University here in Winston-Salem for 18 years. We're now the fastest growing and most diverse university in the state. And, uh, and I, I thought, I got to meet this guy. I, I, just, I, don't, I, I didn't know anything about you. I just want to come meet you. And I'm sure you uh, didn't know anything about me, so that's probably why you only gave me a 30-minute appointment. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, I'm going to have to talk fast for this guy to even know I'm alive. But uh, if I remember correctly, you either delayed or canceled some appointments so I that we could talk them. longer. I canceled them. And then uh, conversations went from there. I think in that very first conversation, the subject changed to, could we have a partnership where we would start a brand-new criminal justice degree program, but this time – having the professionals and the academics work very closely in putting that thing together so it wasn't just going to be an ivory tower degree. It would be working very closely with professional policing. It was so true. You know, I, like you said, I didn't know who you were. Uh, I just believe that you never know who, who God is going to put in your path. You never know how just meeting someone could change lives. And so that, that that's the mantra that Bobby always operates under is that I, I – don't meet a stranger. I stop. I talk to people because I just feel that by us meeting, we could change atmospheres. And when you start changing atmospheres, you start changing outcomes. And then you have chain reactions. And that's what we have done. Our meeting has caused uh, many outcomes to change. And this change, a uh, few chain reactions have occurred. And so I think that when we put that together, that degree program together, we had no idea um, that it would grow into such what it has grown into now. And so I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for the friendship, the partnership, and also I'm grateful to be sitting here having a conversation with you about the many different things that are happening in our world. And this just goes to show that even though we may be different, we still have the same commonality in a lot of areas. And I'm, I'm grateful as well on all sorts of fronts. Uh, just a friendship, first of all, and uh, I've told my wife several times, I wish I had known this guy my whole life. I think we'd been best friends for life. Uh, uh -huh. But uh, the other chain reactions – Today, before this day is over, you and I are, are going down to Charlotte. True. Uh, and uh, today there's going to be a press conference in downtown Charlotte at the sheriff's office because Mecklenburg County, the largest or most populous county in the state, is signing an agreement with Piedmont International University, and we're going to become their chief partner for training law enforcement officers. And uh, that, I would have never met them, had anything to do with them, had I not met you. And so the chain reactions are many. And, and you know, a number of folks who will be listening to this program will be uh, most likely in Chattanooga, Tennessee area. And uh, because of you and because of this initiative, uh, we also have a partnership right there. And the uh, Hamilton County Sheriff, uh, uh, Sheriff Hammonds, signed an agreement. We had a press conference there, and that happened back around maybe October. And I just in that. these few months, we've already enrolled uh, numbers, uh, a good number of people from that police department who were in Piedmont. So I'm deeply grateful from a personal but also from a professional standpoint. Uh, I'm grateful as well. You know, I give all the thanks to God, and I'm grateful for our meeting, and I continue I hope that we continue to do many more great things here at Piedmont. Atmosphere a minute ago, and uh, I've heard you use that term a few times, but I also remember hearing you talk about some training you got at maybe at Quantico or just it was. that talked about the different. Yeah, so so during 9-11, uh, uh, I was an air marshal. You know, at the time, we didn't have uh, an up-and-running air marshal unit. 
So the federal government uh, uh, drafted, I should say, uh, voluntold, volunteered, however you want to phrase it. They pulled agents, 1811s, from various agencies and brought them back and uh, put them on the planes until they got a, a air marshal program up and running. And one of the things that they did, they brought you back and they gave you a whirlwind uh, education on the plane and uh, the type of ammunition, a few things. And one of the things that stuck out in my mind was they started explaining the atmosphere, you know, the, the different levels of mesosphere, the stratosphere, the exosphere, and they talked about the different type of things that take place in those atmospheres. They talked about that, for an example, a helicopter can't fly at the same altitude that a commercial jet. A commercial jet can't fly where a fighter jet, a fighter jet doesn't perform where a shuttle uh, uh, performs that. But they said that, and I thought about that, that at every level of the atmosphere, you have the ability to cause, effect, and change it. And even down here as we talk right here in this room, we have the ability to change atmospheres. For an example, when the preacher walks into uh, the pulpit, the atmosphere changes. When the president walks up to the podium, the atmosphere changes. Um, the room could be set up for a banquet hall. You can change the room for many different things. But whatever is to take place in there, the atmosphere has to be set for that to take place. You look at a, a sporting event. We know we're coming into March Madness, ACC, the hype, all of the energy. Are you a, a Wake, Duke, or Carolina, or are you allowed to say? I just like a good basketball game. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's a, that's, those are fighting words here. Oh, trust me, those are fighting we words. We probably should. Uh, we can talk about black and white, but we don't want to talk about Duke and Carolina. We, well, we you lose know, half our audience. Yeah, well, you know what? Since we're sitting right here in Forsyth <laughs> County, right, I'm a Wake fan. How about that? <laughs> that sounds like a really clever clever answer. <laughs> when I get to Chapel Hill next week, I'll be a Chapel Hill fan. <laughs> How about that? I think we should both be Tennessee fans today. Or That's true. Georgia guess what? or something. I don't guess know. what? For the next hour and a half, I'm a volunteer. Go volunteers, right? <laughs> I'm going to go find something orange to wear for the rest of this show. Yeah. Oh, that We just lost about a third of our folks right there. Yeah. We, they're, they're turning the radios off as we're talking. <laughs> Yeah. But no, uh, changing the atmosphere, that's one of the reasons we want to have this conversation. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of people who have the ability to drive wedges, and they're really, really good at it. I think there's some people that make a living by driving wedges between us, and, uh, and that's the, if, if they stop, if we actually started getting along, they wouldn't have a job. That's true. And so uh, we're, we're going to do the opposite. We're going to try to pull those wedges out and, and bring folks together as much as we can. And, uh, you know, I, we try to do that here as a school. I arrived here in 2002 and became the president of a school that was about 99.9% white. And uh, when the board interviewed me and asked me uh, what I would want to change, I gave them some things that would be about vision. But at the top of my list was I think we need to become a school that looks a lot like all of America, not one sliver of America or one slice of America. And one of the things I'm proudest of 18 years later is that we actually are a beautiful representation of America. If you look at our demographics and put them on a chart next to America's demographics, we match almost perfectly with our numbers of white, black, Hispanic, Asian, and I'm really proud of that. But uh, I actually try to diversity in the enrollment, but also try to pull these worlds together so that you come here and maybe you didn't know much about that other world. You leave here not only knowing a lot, but also having some of your best friends from different worlds as well. And I try to start a school every year. So we have an opening chapel, a convocation. We pull all students together. And they've come here from around the world and from across the country. Last year, we had students enrolled from 45 states. And, uh, and I was, as I was walking across the lot a few years ago and uh, was getting ready to give this speech, I noticed something interesting. Uh, I noticed, first of all, that there was a guy getting out of a lifted four-wheel drive, mud-covered truck. He had an American flag flying out of the back of the truck. 
And as I walked past it, I saw a MAGA bumper sticker. And I thought, well, that'll get some attention. And then as I walked on across the parking lot, a few cars down, a couple cars down, I saw a couple of black guys getting out of a, out of a car, and they'd been jamming to Jay-Z or something. <laughs> and I thought, you know, got a guy over here listening to Hank Williams, and I got guys over here listening to Jay-Z. These people are from different worlds. They, they don't know anything about each other's worlds except maybe a lot of suspicion, preconceived ideas, stereotypes. And so I stood up in chapel and I actually called attention to the fact that I'd just seen, I knew everybody else had seen that truck with the flag. <laughs> and so I called attention to it. And I said, you know what, you guys have enrolled here at this school. And for the next four years, you're going to be living together. You're going to be working together. You're going to be studying together. And I'm hoping that we're going to have love for each other before it's over. And so I, I always talk to them about the need to be, be tuned in to trying to understand not just to be understood. It seems we all want we all want people to understand us, but we don't ever seem to want to take the time to understand the other perspective. We just dismiss it quickly, or we have a couple of talking points, arguments, and then we dismiss it. And so I stood up and talked to them about something that happened in the life of Jesus Christ and how that he chose 12, uh, we call them apostles, 12 disciples, and he had two opposites sitting there. In fact, this is really interesting to me. You know, he chose a guy named Matthew Levi, who was a tax collector. Now, you have to keep in mind that the Romans had come in and conquered the Middle East, and they had occupied what we would call Israel. And the Israelites hated the occupying force. And the zealots, uh, and the, and the, the zealots hated them most of all, but I was talking about Matthew. Matthew Levi, uh, he, uh, he actually had sold his soul to the occupying force. He had become a tax collector for them. He would come around to all the poor people of Palestine, and uh, he would take some of their tax money. Then he would take extra tax money and steal part of it and put it in his own pocket and send the rest to Rome. And so the local people hated him. But the group that hated him the most were the zealots. And the zealots were like a guerrilla group. They hid up in the mountains trying to kill as many Roman soldiers as they could. They would sneak out and kill a few and go hide back up in the mountains. And eventually they would lead a rebellion and the emperor way over in Rome would send an army, and they would conquer that country, and they would destroy and burn to the ground Jerusalem and kill every single zealot. So think about that. Jesus has sitting around his campfire every night for three and a half years a zealot who hated all Romans and thought that the only good Romans were dead. And he had another guy who had sold his soul to Rome. I can imagine that the conversations were a little tense, and a few arguments came up. But every night, and every day, Jesus was showing them that there was something bigger than both of them, something more than those views, something more important than those temporary passions. And I say every year at this speech, I don't think either one of those guys could have believed that 30 years later, Jerusalem would be burned to the ground. In other words, there would not be a Jerusalem if you were a zealot. Mm -hmm. And all the people who were still zealots would all be dead. In fact, the last few would die of suicide on top of a mountain called Masada as they were getting ready to be conquered by the Roman army. But that tax collector, he would have never believed, I don't think he would have ever believed, that a couple hundred years later, Rome would be burned to the ground, or at least conquered, and there wouldn't be a Rome left to defend. These things that were so important to them were going to disappear, but something bigger, something more eternal would still be around. And so uh, my goal is to get these students, and I think our goal here in this conversation, is to get people to think about something bigger than our petty, temporary differences. So I, I agree with everything you just said. Because, you know, you think about some things. We look at life from so many different vantage points, and there are so many things we have in common and that we don't have in common. All of us have places in life we want to arrive. All of us have something, a dream. All of us have families that we want to provide for. 
But when you start to look at life from a whole different perspective and you look at life as to how do I make it better? How do I become a better citizen? How do I become a better person? How do I do something that's greater than myself? And so I went through a, uh, a point in my life where I guess it was that aha moment where I looked at life differently. As when you get to a point in life and you realize that you've seen more years than you're going to see. In other mm-hmm. words, you look you're not at getting life. old, are you, Bobby? Oh, I am. I am. <laughs> and you start asking your question, you know, what, what is life about now? How am I living between the hyphen? You know, we all know birth dates. We all know our birth dates, but none of us know our exit dates. We mm-hmm. don't. And you ask the question, if you ever ask the question, how would I live between the hyphen? How would I live between that which is known, my birthday, and that which is unknown, my exit date, when I leave here? And so I made a commitment to myself is that I've got to leave this place better than it was when I came. I've got to be a better person than I was yesterday. And so I may disagree with your thoughts. I may disagree with a lot of things that people say. But sometimes when, like, we talk, if you just sit down and we just talk through our differences, what, what a world of difference it will really make. And so when we decided we was going to put this program together and we started talking about the issues from different perspectives, you know, from, a, from a male-white perspective, from one black male perspective, you know, we have, we've been groomed differently. We have seen life from different vantage points, thus causing us to see things differently. Absolutely. And so I think that this is a good point to where we talk about all the issues that people don't want to talk about uh, unless they're sitting in the confines of the living room with a loved one and someone that thinks like them. And what I think is going to happen in these conversations, uh, unless you know we just get mad at each other and walk away, uh, which I can't, <laughs> I can't imagine. But uh, I think we're going to find out at the end of the day, it's okay to have different perspectives and to have different views, and to maybe have some sharp disagreements and still be able to talk and get along. Uh, because it seems in our world we isolate yeah. and uh, we pull away, and then we, uh, you know, we have horrible consequences of that eventually when our worlds are so far apart. Uh, and, and the clashes take place. You, know, you mentioned uh, we all know our birthday, but we don't know our, ex- our exit date. And it reminded me of a story. There's a pastor named Stephen Davy, who pastors. Uh, he, if he's listening to this, he's going to get me for this. But uh, uh, he pastors in Cary, North Carolina. He pastors a mega church over there. And tend to, he was a student, a young man. He uh, came down with a sickness. I don't remember the name of it. It was a skeletal issue, and it, it really horribly affected him. And I've had him speak for me. He's an amazing speaker. I've had him speak for us many times over here at Piedmont, and it takes him a long time to get from a sitting position to a standing position. And going up or down steps is almost impossible for him. He has to get someplace early and maybe take 10 minutes to get up three or four steps to get onto a platform where he's going to speak. And he would prefer to already be standing when the service starts because he's not going to be able to get out of a chair. So it's really challenging. But he's an amazing communicator, and he's built this huge church, and people flock to hear him preach. But he was diagnosed with a sickness. And he went to see a doctor, and the doctor gave him, I think, 10 years to live. I might be wrong about the exact number, but something like 10 years to live. And so he went home with that heavy, heavy news on his heart, and he started thinking about 10 years. And he came across the Bible verse where it says, teach me to number my days. Mm. And he thought, well, most people don't know how many days they have, but I do. I have 10 years. (laughs) And so he figured out 10 times 365, 36,500 days is how many I have left. And so he went and I think if I remember the story correctly, he bought a large jar and he bought that many marbles and he put all the marbles in the jar. And he said, okay, those marbles represent about how many days I have left to live according to the doctors. And every day he would take out one of those marbles, look at it. Okay. This is my only chance to live this day. I only have this many left. And little by little, that pile started going down and started going down. And, you know, finally it's five years have passed and that, that thing is only half full. And he's living every day to his absolute fullest and his absolute maximum 
maximum. And he's doing what you said a minute ago. This day has to count. I only get this many days. The doctor told That's me. It. Well, the funny thing is he reached that age and he ran out of marbles, <laughs> like some people accuse me of doing. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and yet he was still alive and he was going strong. He decided he would live that way the rest of his life. Well, he's older than me. And uh, you and I are both in our late 50s. And uh, he's, uh, he's a good bit older than me and going strong to this day. So he actually had a lot more. He, he didn't know his exit date. He just thought he did. But I bet if we all lived a life like that, uh, we only have so many days. Count those days. Think about those days. We would probably do what you just said. We would use every day to its fullest and to matter and to leave this world better than we found it. And so you know what my hope is for people that are listening and those that will continue to listen to us as we, as we come every week is that by us being different is to educate one another about our differences. That's exactly right. Then I wanted us to take that education and motivate each other to be better than we were. And then the last thing I want to do is participate in each other's life, participate in this thing called life. So by educating each other on our differences, motivating each other to be better, and participating, we, we have to participate in the process. You know, just think about where we've come from as a country, how divided we were. Mm-hmm. You know, just think about that. Think about where we are now. We've had ebbs and flows, highs and lows, with, with, with race relationships. We've had so many different things, but just imagine had we started at a place that we are now to where we can really talk. Had we started a place to where we all realize we have a voice, we're in this together. You know, I tell the story about when you look at the rainbow, when you look at it, can you just pick out one color and say that it's pretty? No, it's the, it's the, it's the collage of all the colors melted to gives it the rainbow, makes it the beautiful uh, pictorial that you see. And so when you start to look at life from that perspective and say that, hey, we all have a stake in this game. We all have skin in this game. And we have to realize that together, together, greater. You know, when they talk about we the people, for the people, you know, it's that greatness that makes us, uh, togetherness that makes us great. I'm thinking about, uh, uh, I also challenge those students every year to try to cross the lines and build some new kinds of friendship. It's, it's absolutely natural and normal and good and healthy that you'd want to be around people like yourself. I mean, who, who doesn't? Well, that's, that's what we all want to do, and that makes sense. But I say try to build. While you're here, you'll have a great chance to meet people who are from different worlds. Cross over those lines. Build those relationships. And I always smile when I sit up uh, in the front of our chapel. You know, Twice a week we have a big gathering of all these students, and I look around, and on the very first day of school, people seem to be basically self-segregated. <laughs> They're all sitting with their own groups. But as the year goes along, I'll notice like the athletic teams will pretty much sit together. I mean, they may be required to for all I know. Uh, but I'll notice over the course of a year that people will be sitting with other folks, getting to know other folks, and I'll see these friendships beginning to develop. It reminds me, I started a church when I was way too young. I was about 22 years old, and I started a church in southwest Atlanta. And I built a multicultural, multiracial church way before they were cool. And there just, there just weren't any things, there weren't many of those in Atlanta in that day. And I actually got some horrible advice from the pastor of a large white church who basically gave me advice on how to keep it segregated. And that was the only way I was going to be successful. But we started reaching out, and our church ended up being about one-third white, one-third black, and one-third Asian. And my African-American friend, Ken Baker, became the pastor after me, pastored that church for many years that we started together. And unfortunately and sadly, he eventually died of ALS. But before he did, he merged it with another church, and they're going strong to this day. One of the things I learned, I, mean, I grew up on a farm out in the middle of nowhere. And so uh, there, were, there, were no, there was no diversity in my area because there were no people of any kind. We were miles, people were miles apart from each other, or at least a mile apart, I should say, from each other. And so I arrived in Atlanta, and it was a brave new world for me. But that experience of starting that church, sitting down at me, in 
having meals with Koreans, having meals in black homes and white homes and different perspectives. It was an eye-opening, beautiful, beautiful experience. I found that if you'll actually just spend some time in somebody else's world, all those stereotypes melt away. Those preconceived ideas die, and you realize that we're all just people. So we, true. We want to have some. We'd like to have a little prosperity. We'd like to be healthy. We'd like to be safe. Yeah, there's a few little differences, but actually the similarities are far more stark to me. That is so true, and I think that is one of the beautiful things about this program. We get we're gonna get to talk about some differences. We're gonna get to talk about our interactions. You know, I, I when I left here as a young boy graduating from Quantico on my first duty assignment as an agent, it was uh, Detroit. And here I am from North Carolina going into Detroit, a huge metropolitan city. They didn't think you had an accent, did they? Oh, of course they did. You know, <laughs> I go to restaurants looking for sweet tea. What is that? I go to restaurants for the morning looking for grits. What is that? Go there you looking eat slaw on your hot dogs. Oh yes, yes, yes. You can't find that in Chicago. <laughs> I mean, so I mean, it's just it's just so many differences. But then once I got there and was living there, I realized, hey, you know. I like this place. I like this place. Interesting. And then you go to different other countries as traveling as an agent, and you, you you read so much, and then you get there and you realize there are people there are people just like me. You know, they want the same things that I want. And so I think that once we pull the curtain back and all the stereotypes, and we sit down and we have conversation, the world is so much better, and we're so much better once we unite and once we realize that it's our it's our togetherness that makes us stronger. So uh, I, we were talking about this program, Black and White, Let's Just Talk. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing how powerful conversation and talking can be. I'll give you a quick example. Um, a few years ago, we had that Colin Kaepernick kneeling controversy. Remember that? Oh, yeah. And so uh, that thing went around. It was a big news for a while, a lot of tension around that. And I had a, a donor who's given a lot of money to Piedmont over the years call me and say, are we going to have any of that kneeling over at Piedmont? Are any of your players going to kneel during the national anthem? He said, because if they are, you've gotten the last cent you're ever going to get from me. I don't like those people that hate America and that hate our flag. And I was thinking to myself, well, I don't know if that's actually a fair representation of all those people. But I, I, I see what you're probably thinking about. But it caused me to stop and wonder what would happen. And uh, as you know, we have an NBA all-star, actually somebody who's a distant relative of yours, yeah. uh, Josh Howard, as our head coach. It's pretty cool to have an NBA all-star as your head coach. And I went to Josh and I said, can I have a conversation with your students, which are students, uh, his athletes, his basketball team, primarily African-American. And he said, well, sure. And so we went in and we sat down on the bleachers uh, in the gym. And I told these guys, I'm here to talk to you about this kneeling controversy. I'd like to hear your perspective. And the first guy said, well, if you'll let me speak freely, I said, sure, you can speak freely. He said, well, first thing you need to know is that it isn't about patriotism. He talked about how that his, I think, grandfather wanted to fight for America, but Back in that day, maybe World War II, they wouldn't allow him in. And he had to, like, fight to get into the Army in order so that he could go and fight for America. He talked about his own father being in the military, relatives being in the military. He said, Dr. Pettit, we love America. He looked up at our flag at the end of the gym. He said, I love that flag. I love America. Uh, he said, my family would die for this country. He said, this isn't really about patriotism. It's about calling attention to oppression and racism and different things like that in our country. And so one by one, they took their turns telling me what the, their thoughts were. And so I just listened because sometimes you just need to listen and hear people out. and Just quit screaming at them long enough to hear what they're really thinking. Well, by the time they had all spoken, I'd heard pretty much a very well-rounded perspective. And I said to them, what if we could reach a win-win? I said, what if we do something at the anthem time at our gym that would actually call attention to this 
but at the same time call attention that we, to the fact that we love America and we love our flag. And they said, what do you have in mind? So I said, how about if we put a large banner under the American flag with huge letters that talk about the things that unite us and that call attention to the things that are concerning you? And they said, what would that say? And so here's what it actually says. If you walk into our gym today, under the American flag is this giant sign. It says, we stand to express our deep appreciation for our military veterans. We stand to show our respect for those who have served and died for our country. We stand, and this is the one they really wanted to hear, <laughs> we stand against all forms of racism, bigotry, prejudice, and oppression. And then in giant letters it says, we stand united. They said, if you'll put that up, if you'll put that up, we'll stand proudly time the anthem is played. Well, we put that up, and I smile every time it's played because I watch everybody in the entire place looking over at a flag and reading these statements, including one that says, we stand against racism, bigotry, prejudice, and oppression. Started that. We haven't had a single problem since. And this past summer, that same person who called me and said, I'll never give another penny if I hear about a kneeling controversy, actually gave a very large gift that enabled us to renovate the entire athletic facility. It all came out about because we decided we would just talk. That's it. So this is our show, Black and White, Let's Just Talk. Next week, we'll dig into the week's issues. I'm Bobby, and I look forward to seeing you and hearing you. And I'm Charles. Glad you joined in. You've been listening to Black and White, Can We Just Talk? from Piedmont International University, located in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Piedmont is a Christ-centered university committed to exceptional teaching, scholarly research, creative innovation, and professional collaboration. You can find out more at piedmontu.edu.